listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to leave a tip for the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast to support it, you can do so by Venmoing Mystical City of God. Now let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 307, and we are reading from Volume 4, Chapter 14, Paragraphs 248 to 257. Chapter 14, The Conversion of St. Paul, and the part taken therein by Most Holy Mary, Other Hidden Mysteries. 248, Our Mother of the Church, governed by the Divine Spirit, celebrates the conversion of St. Paul as one of the greatest miracles of grace for the consolation of sinners. For from a virulent and blasphemous persecutor of the name of Christ, as St. Paul calls himself, 1 Timothy 1, 13, he was changed to an apostle, obtaining mercy through divine grace. As in obtaining it, our great queen bore such a prominent part, this rare miracle of the omnipotent must not be passed over in this history. But its greatness can be better understood if the state of St. Paul as a persecutor of the church at the time of his calling is explained. And when the causes which induced him to signalize himself as such a strong champion of the law of Moses and bitter persecutor of Christ are known. 2.49 St. Paul was distinguished in Judaism for two reasons. The one was his own character, and the other was the diligence of the demon in availing himself of his naturally good qualities. St. Paul was of a disposition, generous, magnanimous, most noble, kind, active, courageous, and constant. He had acquired many of the moral virtues. He glorified in being a staunch professor of the law of Moses and in being studious and learned in it. Although in truth he was ignorant of its essence as he himself confesses to Timothy, because all his learning was human and terrestrial, like many Jews he knew, the law merely from the outside, without its spirit, and without the divine insight which was necessary to understand it rightly and to penetrate its mysteries. But as his ignorance seemed to him real knowledge, and as he was gifted with a retentive memory and keen understanding, he was a great zealot for the tradition of the rabbis. Galatians 1.14 He judged it an outrage and absurdity that as he thought a new law invented by a man crucified as a criminal should be published in opposition to them, and to that law which was given by God himself, and received by Moses on the mount, Exodus 24. 
Hence he conceived a great hatred and contempt for Christ, his law, and his disciples. Steeped in this error, he called into activity all his moral virtues, if that can be called virtue, which was devoid of true charity, and prided himself much in combating the errors of others. For that is a common fault with the children of Adam, that they please themselves in some good work without making the much more important effort to reform some of their vices. In this self-deception lived and acted Saul, deeply convinced that he was zealously promoting the honor of God and upholding the ancient law of Moses and its divine ordainments. It appeared to him that in acting thus, he was defending God's honor, for he had not really understood this law, which in its ceremonies and figures was but temporal and not eternal, and which was necessarily to be abrogated by a more wise and powerful legislator, as Moses himself foretold. Deuteronomy 18.15 2.50 This indiscreet zeal and vehemence was fanned by the malice of Lucifer and his ministers, who irritated and roused him to even greater hatred against the law of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Many times have I, in the course of this history, mentioned the malicious attempts and infernal schemes of this dragon against the Holy Church, among them was his anxious search for men, who should serve as apt and efficient instruments and executors of his malice. Lucifer, by himself or his demons, although they are able to tempt men singly, are yet unable to raise up the rebellious banners in public, or become leaders in any sect or sedition against God, unless it be through the assistance of some human being, in leading on the blind and unenlightened. This cruel enemy was infuriated by the happy beginnings of the Holy Church. He feared its progress and burned with envy to see beings of a lower nature than himself raised to the participation of the divinity and glory which he himself had lost. He recognized the inclinations of Saul, his habits, and the state of his interior, and all seemed to harmonize well with his own designs of destroying the Church of Christ through the willing hands of unbelievers. 251 Lucifer consulted the other demons concerning the wicked plan in a meeting held especially for this purpose. With common accord, the dragon and others of the demons resolved ceaselessly to urge on Saul by stirring up his anger against the apostles and the whole flock of Christ, using suggestions and reasonings adapted to his state of mind. And in order that he might be the sooner influenced by them, they were to represent his indignation as a virtue to be gloried in. The demons executed this resolve to the letter, and without losing any occasion. Although Paul was dissatisfied and opposed to the teaching of our Lord even before his death on the cross, yet he had not yet declared himself so zealous a defender of the law of Moses and adversary of the Lord. It was only at the death of St. Stephen that he showed the wrath which the infernal dragon had roused against the followers of Christ, as the enemy had found the heart of Saul on that occasion, so ready to execute all his malicious suggestions. He became so arrogant in his malice that it seemed to him he need not desire more, and that this man would offer no resistance to any malice he ever could propose. 2.52 In his impious presumption, Lucifer tried to induce Saul to attempt single-handed the life of all the apostles, and with still greater presumption even the life of the Most Blessed Mary. To such a point of insanity rose the pride of this most bloodthirsty dragon, but he deceived himself. The disposition of Saul was most noble and generous, and therefore it appeared to him beneath his dignity and honor to stoop to such crimes, 
and act the part of an assassin, when he could, as it seemed to him, destroy the law of Christ by the power of reasoning and open justice. He felt a still greater horror at the thought of killing the Most Blessed Mother, on account of the regard due to her as a woman, and because he had seen her so composed and constant in the labors and in the passion of Christ. On this account she seemed to him a magnanimous woman, and worthy of veneration. She had indeed won his respect together, with some compassion for her sorrows and afflictions, the magnitude of which had become publicly known. Hence he gave no admittance to the inhuman suggestions of the demon against the life of the most blessed Mary. This compassion for her hastened, not a little, the conversion of Saul. Neither did he further entertain the treacherous designs against the apostles. Although Lucifer sought to make their assassination appear as a deed, worthy of his courageous spirit. Rejecting all these wicked thoughts, he resolved to incite all the Jews to persecute the church until it should be destroyed together with the name of Christ. 2.53 As the dragon and his cohorts could not attain more, they contented themselves with having brought Saul at least to this resolve. The dreadful wrath of these demons against God and his creatures can be estimated from the fact that on the very day they held another meeting in order to consult how they could preserve the life of this man, whom they had found so well adapted to execute their malice. These deadly enemies well know that they have no jurisdiction over the lives of men, and that they can neither give nor take life unless permitted by God or some particular occasion. Nevertheless, they wish to make themselves the guardians and the physicians of the life and health of Saul, as far as their power extended, namely by keeping active his forethought against whatever was harmful and suggesting the use of what was naturally beneficial to the welfare of life and limb. Yet with all their efforts, they were unable to hinder the works of grace when God so wished it. Far were they from suspecting that Saul would ever accept the faith of Christ, and that the life which they were trying to preserve and lengthen was to redound to their own ruin and torment. Such events are provided by the wisdom of the Most High, in order that the devil, being deceived by his evil counsels, may fall into his own pits and snares, and in order that all his machinations may serve for the fulfillment of the divine and irresistible will. 2.54 Such were the decrees of the highest wisdom, in order that the conversion of Saul might be more wonderful and glorious, with the intention God permitted Satan, after the death of St. Stephen, to instigate Saul to go to the chief priests with fierce threats against the disciples of Christ who had left Jerusalem, and to solicit permission for bringing them as prisoners to Jerusalem from wherever he should find them. Acts 9.1 For this enterprise, Saul offered his person and possession, and even his life, as his own cost and without salary. He made this journey in order that the new law preached by the disciples of the crucified might not prevail against the law of his ancestors. This offer was readily favored by the high priests and his counselors. They immediately gave to Saul the commission he asked, especially to go to Damascus, whither, according to report, some of the disciples had retired after leaving Jerusalem. He prepared for their journey, hiring officers of justice and some soldiers to accompany him. But his, by far, most numerous escort were the many legions of demons, who, in order to assist him in this enterprise, came forth from hell hoping that, with all this show of force and through Saul, they might be able to make an end of the church and entirely devastate it with fire and blood. This was really the intention of Saul, and the one with which Lucifer and his demons sought to inspire him and his companions. But let us leave him for the present on his journey to Damascus, 
anxious to seize all the disciples of Christ, whom he should find in the synagogues of that city. 2.55 Nothing of all this was unknown to the Queen of Heaven. For in addition to her signs and vision penetrating to the inmost thoughts of men and demons, the apostles were solicitous in keeping her informed of all that befell the followers of her son. Long before this time she had known that Saul was to be an apostle of Christ, a preacher to the Gentiles, and a man distinguished and wonderful in the church. For all of these things her son informed her, as I said in the second part of this history. But as she saw the persecution becoming more violent, and the glorious fruits and the results of the conversion of Saul delayed, and as she moreover saw how the disciples of Christ, who knew nothing of the secret intentions of the Mosai, were afflicted and somewhat discouraged at the fury and persistence of his persecution, the kindest mother was filled with great sorrow, considering in her heavenly prudence how important was this affair. She roused herself to new courage and confidence in her prayers for the welfare of the church and the conversion of Saul. Prostrate in the presence of her son, she poured forth the following prayer. 2.56 Most High Lord, Son of the Eternal Father, true God of the true God, engendered by his own and indivisible substance, and by ineffable condescension of thy infinite goodness, become my son and the life of my soul. How shall I, thy slave, continue to live? If the persecution of the beloved church thou hast commended to my care shall prevail, and be not put down by thy almighty power, how shall my heart behold the fruit of thy precious blood, despised and trodden underfoot? If thou, my Lord, givest to me the children begotten by thee in the church, and if I am to love them and look upon them as a mother, how shall I be consoled when I see them thus oppressed and destroyed for confessing thy holy name and loving thee with a sincere heart? Thine is the power and the wisdom, and it is not proper that he should glory against thee, who is the dragon of hell, the enemy of thy name, and the slander of my children and thy brethren. My son, confound the pride of this ancient serpent, which in its pride rises up anew, to vent its fury against the simple sheep of thy flock. Behold how Lucifer has drawn into his deceits Saul, whom thou hast chosen and set apart as thy apostle. It is time, O my God, that thou show thy omnipotence, and save this soul, through whom and in whom thy name is to be so highly exalted, and so much good to be secured for all the world. 2.57 The Most Blessed Lady persevered in this prayer for a long time, offering to suffer and die, if necessary, for the welfare of the Holy Church and the conversion of Saul. As in his infinite wisdom her divine Son had foreseen this mediation of his beloved mother, he descended from heaven and appeared to her in person, while she was praying in the retirement of her oratory. He said to her, My beloved mother, in whom I find the fulfillment of all my will and pleasure, what are thy requests? Tell me what thou wishest. As usual, she prostrated herself in the presence of her divine Son, and adoring him as the true God said, My highest Lord, far in advance dost thou know the hearts and the thoughts of thy creatures, and my desires are open to thy eyes. My petitions are those of knowing thy infinite charity for men, of the mother of thy church, the advocate of sinners, and thy slave. If I have received all from thee without my merit, I cannot fear to be unheard in my desires for thy glory. I ask, O my son, that thou look upon the affliction of thy church, that like a loving father thou hasten the relief of thy children, engendered by thy most precious blood. This concludes our reading today for day number 307. We have been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 14, Paragraphs 248 to 257.
as we are introduced in today's reading to the conversion of St. Paul, we know that in the very beginning, St. Paul was an enemy of Christianity, that he was the one who was persecuting Christians. He was arresting them, as we heard, putting them to death. But Our Lady never failed in praying for his conversion. Our Lady was able to obtain this from her son. And in a sense, Mary knew that this conversion was going to take place. But just because she knew in advance did not mean that she stopped praying. And so for us, we might have faith in the conversion of someone. I strongly believe that this person will convert. But that doesn't mean just because we have faith and eventually they'll convert that we shouldn't be praying. So we remain steadfast then in our prayers for the conversion of those in our life. And as we think of St. Paul and how he was an enemy of Christianity, well, maybe today we think of, well, who is one of the greatest threats to the church today? Who's one of the greatest enemies of the church? Now, I'm not sure if I can actually name a name, and even if I could, I'm not sure I would, but... It's good for us to pray for the enemies of the church, to pray for them that they might have a conversion like that of St. Paul. And so we maybe just generally pray, Lord, grant the conversion of hardened sinners. Grant the conversion of those who despise the church. Let your blood touch their hearts, changing their minds, converting their lives something that we can pray. Or maybe we think about some of the most hardened sinners. I can only think of some of these abortionists, those who perform abortions, who every day take human life, who every day hear that baby cry as life is being taken. And maybe for us who profess the gospel of life, How often do we pray for the conversion of them? Pray for them that they might have a conversion like that of St. Paul. Be intentional in praying for conversion. Be like Our Lady. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you. And Mary, pray for you.